everybody, it's Sunday, March 9th, 2014. Hope you're having a great day. Before we get into today's episode, as you probably know, I got a site called BallerLeather.com. But I haven't talked about it much here just because I thought that it might be a bit spammy or a little bit self-promotional uh, talking about it all the time. So recently I did an interview over at Ecommerce Pulse where I go a bit behind the scenes with Layton and we talk about what happened since then, since I wrote about it in the How I Made a Product in China series and how I'm going to scale this up. So check it out if you got a few minutes. Before we start today's episode with Rick, I first found him on a replay of a presentation he gave over at Search Love San Diego. It was a conference with I'll be a bunch of SEO guys, I guess. I'm not really sure, but I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, basically, he talked about e-commerce and Google PLA, uh, aka Google Shopping. And so today we're going to go over some kind of high-level topics that he discussed in that speech and also what it means for individual sellers uh, like you and me. And so we don't go too much into detail about setting up PLA as it can get quite technical. Uh, and a podcast isn't really a great way to discuss those issues. And there's probably a couple of resources out there that can tell you how to get your data feed set up and all that thing. So hope you enjoy this episode. And here's a chat today with Rick Backus over at CPC Strategy. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lynn. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Rick Backus, CEO of CPC Strategy over there in San Diego, where we're going to talk about uh, PLAs, remarketing, and all sorts of paid ads. So, Rick, what's up? How's it going, Terry? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, real quick, Rick, uh, what's the background of CPT, CPC strategy and uh, your, the story of yourself? So I went to college uh, at UCLA. While I was at UCLA, uh, my roommate is a guy named Tien, who uh, was my roommate my junior year. Based on my experience at UCLA, I wanted to work in Westwood. I really liked Westwood. Uh, I actually walked into a building, um, which was kind of the nicest, nicest like commercial building in Westwood. I has, had my resume, I had a full suit on. I went up to the, the guy downstairs who essentially was just like there to, for maintenance and just kind of hanging out. And I told him that I wanted to work in the building um, and I had my resume and he was like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to apply, you have to apply online or, you know, there's a lot of ways to apply, but you don't just like walk into the building. Like, no, I'm, I'm really motivated today. Like, just, you know, let me talk to the companies in here that are good. Who do you think I should work for? And so he's like, uh, honestly, like, there's not too many options here for people who don't have any experience. But there's like a temp agency on the 13th floor um, and an Internet company, the floor below that. So I went up to the temp agency. I was doing like typing tests and it was pretty awful. Um, the positions that they said were available were um, not positions that I you know, would want to do. It was like data entry and just every single position they said, it, you know, it's not exactly like they were lining up VP level jobs there. Um, but I was obviously willing to pay my dues. It just, you know, I, I didn't want to, I wanted to start with a job that I looked forward to when I came into work. And then I went to the next floor, which was pricegriber.com. The elevator doors opened up. They had flat screens everywhere. It was just like the coolest office I had ever been to. And so instantly I'm like, I got to work here. I got to figure out a way to work at this place. I went up to the receptionist. I had my resume. I told her I wanted to work there. 
Um, she said the same thing as the guy downstairs. Like, you know, we don't really accept walk-ins. This is not like a, a hair salon. I told her, you know, can I just talk to the HR person? I'd really like to, to meet them today. And then, you know, potentially I could come back for another interview. I ended up staying there for a little bit over an hour. Uh, we scheduled a follow-up interview. I got the position within a week. And th so I started at pricegrabber.com business development. And so it was my job to bring new clients on to Pricegrabber. Really quickly, based on my experience there um, at Pricegrabber, I realized that these online uh, retailers are very sophisticated when it comes to customer service, fulfillment, all the aspects of actually shipping the products. But when it came to online marketing with channels like Pricegrabber, um, it was very complicated. And so I sat next to um, this guy named William Paris, and Will and I formed a you know really close relationship. And then coming back to my roommate at UCLA, it was Tien. Um, Tien's best friend from high school was this guy named Ni Ahene, who was working at eBay at the time. And so um, Tien put Ni and I in contact. We started talking a lot about all kinds of different entrepreneurial ideas. And it took us a while to realize, like, hey, you work at eBay, I work at PriceGuyver, we should probably work in e-commerce. And so we did that starting in January of 2007. The goal was always for Ni and I to kind of start the business, bring on Will and Tien as soon as possible. And it originally just started as a dream to, you know, work with friends, essentially. And so that was in January 2007. Um, fast forward to today. And we have last year was our first year over two million in revenue. Uh, there's 21 total people on the team. And um, we kind of transitioned from just being focused on data feeds and comparison shopping engines to um, product listing ads and Google AdWords, which is a much larger, more competitive market. And so I'll, I'll get into some of those details, um, I'm sure, based on your questions and the rest of the interview. But yeah, that was the not so short description of, of how the company started. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very impressive because I know a lot of friends that do agencies getting to like two million plus with a big team. It gets like I know it gets harder and harder to scale because you need bigger and bigger clients to really grow as an agency too so yeah you need bigger clients you need bigger clients and your skill set you know when when i started the company i was 25 you I know mean, will's my age Nian and Tian are younger than me and so the skills that were necessary early on when it was just the four of us versus the skills that are necessary to run a 21 person organization are totally different and so it requires um, all of us to you know evolve our skill set and if we're not doing that then we're not going to put the company in the best position to to grow and to scale, which is obviously what we all want. So yeah, it's been a it's been a huge learning curve. Yeah, awesome. So let's go back into the story a little bit. So you walked into Pricegriver around uh, after college. What year was this? At? It was right at the end of two thousand and five, and so I graduated in two thousand and five. I walked into uh, Pricegriver. I think it was in December, and then started there in January of two thousand and six. Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. And so. I mean, everyone knows e what eBay is, but because we have some international listeners, so can you just explain what Pricegriver is real quick? Yeah, Pricegriver is an online comparison shopping engine, and so it works similar to Google Shopping. It's an aggregator of products, and the goal is to create a customer experience that's better than going to any one individual retailer site. And so they'll show you the product, um, the description of the product, the image. And then they'll have multiple sellers with that product. And so the, the entire purpose of a comparison shopping engine is to let consumers figure out the best option in terms of price and credibility for a seller so that they can purchase the product directly through the seller. And so Pricegriver gets paid for the clicks. They're an aggregator of products. Whenever 
a user clicks on their products, then that's when they get paid. And so it's up to the advertiser, the sellers, to make sure that um, that traffic is profitable for them because obviously they don't want to just pay for clicks that don't turn into sales. And so it's different than a marketplace in that um, a marketplace has very little risk. It's a flat, fixed fee. And so if somebody clicks on your Amazon or eBay listing and they don't make a purchase, you don't get charged for it. On a comparison shopping engine, you get charged whether they make a purchase or they don't. So where does Google's uh, PLA fit in? Because I, I realized around sometime around 2012, I started hearing about it, but really it sounds like it's been around for a lot longer, right? Yeah, it's been a long. It's been around for a, lo- a long time. Uh, the importance of Google Shopping has changed. Uh, they're sending a lot more traffic than they did previously. And so, in terms of just the history, when I was at Price Grabber, it was called Frugal, um, and then it changed to Google Base. And they've had like legitimately five or six different names for the product. Uh, but it was it previously was free. And so from an agency perspective, we would try to improve the Google um, Google Merchant Center data feed, but retailers weren't always willing to pay for an agency to manage a free channel for them. You know, it, it's similar to SEO. There's a lot of buy-in that you have to get from the retailer up front. The, the big splash came when Google went from being a free product to creating Google product listing ads and charging for those clicks. And so that put the retailers in a position where it became a very competitive market um, kind of overnight. And so the same way that, you know, on AdWords, there's been years of that marketplace maturing and getting more competitive, which leads to higher click costs, which makes it harder to get a profitable return. Um, that process is underway on product listing ads. And it's been about almost two years now that it's uh, become a paid channel and it's driven significantly more revenue than the other comparison shopping engines. And and so that's kind of a new trend. Um, They used to be a little bit closer to each other. And now PLAs drives a lot more revenue, a lot more traffic at a more profitable rate. And it's had a big impact on traditional text ads um, because they're not showing text ads for product searches anymore. They're showing the PLA listings. And so there's been this whole world of agencies that, you know, I manage text ads and we manage data feeds and it's, it's kind of forced the agencies to work together with their clients to make sure that um, the clients are getting the, the specialty or, or the specialization from both of their agencies. I mentioned a presentation I saw you in earlier in Searchland, I think it was last year, and you, know, you guys had some big clients like Hugo Boss, uh, Dungarees, a lot of these kind of big retailers. So how are they looking at PLA when they're looking at other paid ads, like say AdWords or other channels? In terms of like resource allocation, is it kind of growing for PLA or is it as a whole, it's becoming more integrated with other? Yeah, the investment in PLAs is growing, but that's a really good question. That's what, it, it puts the retailer in a difficult position. All these, you know, this goal of, of omni-channel retail sounds great, but realistically, especially for small retailers who are you know under $5 million a year in sales, they have to figure out where to invest. And right now, at least, um, product listing ads is, is, is the best bottom of the funnel channel. And so it provides a, a consistent ROI that is relatively easy to achieve compared to some of the other channels. And so in terms of bottom of the funnel, meaning you know highly qualified users that are ready to convert, that are ready to make a purchase, um, PLAs right now is the best source of traffic. And what you're seeing is a lot of retailers shifting budget from traditional text ads 
Um, you know, they, they'll have an AdWords budget. Let's say it's $20,000 a month. And uh, previously, you know, PLAs may have been 2000 And every month that, that number has been kind of uh, rising where a, a lot of retailers now are spending more on PLAs than they are on text ads. And so that $20,000 budget, 15000 may be allocated to the product listing ads and 5000 is now going towards text ads because the return on product listing ads has been so strong that uh, it makes sense to keep reinvesting into that channel. Do you find that it's because the ROI is strong because that maybe product listing ads are still overall cheaper or do they just convert better than say a text ad? It's a number of reasons. They do convert better. That's been like proven, it's a fact, showing the customer an image and giving away more product information than just what the text ad allows you to do is, you know, they say a picture is worth however many words and it's true when it comes to the customer and so they convert better. Currently, they are cheaper in most instances. PLAs have actually caught up to certain text ads and so they're not always cheaper but because the conversion rate is stronger um, it's been a better investment also you really have to to understand what part of the funnel plas is attacking and so previously text ads were showing up for very specific searches you would have you know nike air max 2013 a search would have only text ads and now google from their perspective is like we know what the product that this customer wants we know exactly what images to show them, why are we gonna show them text only? And so now that same search that previously used to have text has an image of the product and has six sellers that are selling that exact product. And so obviously the customer sees those images and they're drawn towards those images over the text ads. And so PLAs are, they're attacking a different part of the funnel. Um, text ads are still a really, really good way to get middle of the funnel searches. So when someone puts in Nike shoes, they don't know what shoe they want yet. That's not necessarily a transactional search. That's kind of a, an educational search. And so it's your job at that point to show them through your content a lot of different Nike shoes that are hopefully gonna drive them towards that conversion. And so that's how, that's how we think of text ads now is middle of the funnel, top of the funnel. They're great introducers to your brand when you want a conversion. Um, that's when product listing ads come into play. Yeah, I think it intuitively makes sense because whenever you buy something online, you, want, you obviously wanna see what it looks like, right? Unless it's like a book where you know, you can't, there's no kind of purpose to do that. But so Google in one way is kind of cannibalizing their own AdWords text ads, but refunding it to PLA, right? As long as they want to keep it in the whole ecosystem, that's kind of their end goal. Is that fair to say? That's exactly what's happening. And Google revenues have gone up uh, because those PLAs also take up more space on the listings. And so it's pushing down organic traffic. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, theories behind why they're doing that. But yeah, that's, that's been the net impact. The total Google ad revenue has gone up because PLAs draw more clicks because the users are drawn to them. Um, but they are cannibalizing some of the text ad revenue. I think the way Google looks at it is just it's it advertising revenue from commerce related searches has gone up because of PLAs. Yeah, this kind of goes into the tangent I want to go into about little SEO because you know how they removed the uh, keyword tools. It's only in webmaster tools now, and they're being a little sh shady with that. It's kind of it's interesting. You just see everything they're doing now. They're moving towards the whole paid thing because obviously they have all this proprietary traffic. They want to monetize it as good as they can. So I get the feeling SEO the past year, or I guess since 2012, it's really kind of been more and more difficult to just game it. So how does like say a genuine content marketing platform work together with like a PLA 
campaign. There are two different parts of your like marketing repertoire. Content marketing is a, is entirely different beast. I mean, we put a lot of energy we put a lot of energy internally into our content marketing and it can work with your paid advertising in terms of if we're creating an ebook, the goal is to get people to come to our website, educate the industry, and hopefully turn them into a lead and start a conversation with them where they can turn into a client at some point. Um, there's a lot of paid advertising channels for us to promote that ebook. It's a little bit different in retail though. They're more separated in terms of the parts of the funnel. And so our funnel as a marketing agency is, I would say, a little bit more consistent throughout. And so we can use an ebook to educate. We can use an ebook to push um, some of our prospects down the funnel. And we, you can e use an ebook as part of that conversion. For content marketing, you're really attacking a different part of the funnel, that top of the funnel education. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not so much about the conversion at that point. It's about exposing your brand to new customers. And that's the risk when you, I've seen this with a lot of our clients, their SEO has tanked over the years and they say, okay, I'm just going to do PLAs and I'm just going to essentially invest into these bottom of the funnel channels because they have a better ROI, which is great in the short term, but long term, how are you going to get your brand exposed to new customers? And that's where content marketing comes into play. That's where the education comes into play. And I think a lot of times the, the smaller retailers who don't have the resources to invest into content marketing and education, they look at the organic rankings of the huge retailers and it seems like the, the cards are kind of stacked in their favor. And it's, it's not a fair game that they're playing with the larger retailers. And it's not just because those guys have more money. Um, but what I think a lot of the smaller retailers miss is that those, you know, when you're talking about uh, Hugo Boss or Verizon or Klein of that size, um, they can invest millions into education. And so they're spending so much money on educating their consumers and they're, they're able to get their brand in front of new people every single day. And so not only are they focused on the conversion aspect, they're focused on education. And so that's what content marketing is all about. It's the long-term play. And so if you are consistently converting through channels like PLAs and that's your you know, short-term profit, you need to figure out a way to reinvest that to actually build a brand. Because if you can't build a brand, you're always going to compete at the bottom of the funnel. And that's where the profits are uh, the most slim. And so that's how retailers should be thinking about content marketing versus PLAs. They're two completely different channels. One is really investing in your future and one is trying to get um, revenue for you tomorrow. Yeah, this analogy reminds me of kind of like the hunter and farmer analogy where kind of like paid ads, you're like a hunter, you got to go kill an animal, bring it home, you cook it, but then you got to go out the next day again, you got to find another animal. Whereas kind of you're like a farmer, I guess through content marketing, you plant seeds here and there, you know, they might not get ROIs right away, but it's over the long term that you get these big harvests too. Yeah, and that's the that's the challenge for the retailer though, is when you have a limited budget, then you have to eat, right? Like you need to, you need to hunt. You need to make sure that you're bringing home food that night because you don't have the luxury of investing a ton into your, your farming, so to speak. That's the luxury that the larger brands do have and that requires the smaller retailers to be smarter. They really have to out-strategize their competition to compete. And if they're always just trying to find the next meal, it's a really good analogy, I like that. That's what we do as an agency is, is you know, CPC strategy, we're hunters. We bring back customers 
almost instantly, every single day, we're bringing back those customers. What we're not doing is we're, we're not doing the farming for them. And that's where content marketing comes into play. The challenge is how long do you wait for that investment to pay off? A lot of content marketing firms will tell you, okay, it's $5,000 a month for six months before you see any results. That puts a small, a smaller retailer in a very difficult position to make that level of investment without knowing if it's going to pay off or not. Yeah, and it becomes a lot easier to say, hey, I'll just go with AdWords or PLA when I'm going to see the ROA right away, even though in the long term, there's some sacrifice there too. There, there's a sacrifice and they, they ideally should work together. Any company that's growing will have a sophisticated content marketing um, team or agency. They'll have a sophisticated PLA channel. They'll know what they're doing on marketplaces. They're all part of the overall strategy. And, and you really, it's easy to look at each individual channel kind of in the lens that is um, not taking into account your entire business. And I think that's where a lot of retailers get in trouble is they, they kind of lose the big picture. Like what is what is my goal for this business in the next year, in the next two years? And am I investing the necessary necessary resources into my business to achieve that goal? Or am I just, you know, kind of tackling what's right in front of me every day? And I think that it's easy to kind of lose sight of, of what you're trying to accomplish in the long run and content marketing can play a big role in that. Yeah. So let's go through a different tangent a bit. So out of your client base at CPC, like how many would you say would be big retailers, kind of like Hugo Boss and versus like say like a solopreneur, someone with maybe one to five staff? Oh, so we, we still work with a lot of, of smaller agencies. I would say that the way you can understand, you know, our profiling for new clients is they need to spend at least $5,000 a month on the channels that we manage. And so typically that'll be at least $5,000 a month on PLAs. Also need to have a decent selection of products. And so if a retailer comes to us with four SKUs, this happens a lot where they have investment, they'll come to us with four SKUs and say, you know, I'm, I'm ready to spend $30,000 a month on PLAs. And the demand is just not gonna be there. There's not enough um, demand for their individual SKUs to spend more than a few hundred dollars a month. And so a typical client will have at least 500 SKUs, spend at least $5,000 a month. And that um, puts us in a position where we still do work with a lot of small businesses that are you know, somewhere between one to 10 million in online revenue. Um, out of our 220 clients, we have uh, 20 clients that are in the IR top 500. You know, those are the Hugo bosses of the world. But yeah, the majority of the client base is still in that one to $10 million range. And they're spending um, at least $5,000 a month on uh, product listing ads. Mm -hmm. And so how have their spendings changed over the past few years? Are they kind of just, uh, like you were saying, moving from AdWords to PLA, or is it just kind of strict PLA as the main kind of paid channel source? Well, there's a lot of moving from AdWords to PLAs. Um, essentially, that's it's all it's all paid search, right? And so that's been the challenge for a lot of retailers. They, you know, even the way that you're asking your questions right now, and they're logical questions to ask, but there's this kind of differentiation between. PLAs are over here and my AdWords are over here. And they're comparing AdWords uh, traffic and revenue to what it was two years ago before PLAs. And it's changed, it's fundamentally changed. The way that Google is displaying these products is totally different. And so to do a real comparison, you have to take what I was spending on AdWords, including Google Shopping, um, what revenue I was getting from those two channels three years ago versus 
AdWords, the text ads, plus PLAs today, and that'll give you a more fair comparison. Um, you get a lot of you know prospects that we talk to that are like, you know, my text ads, I used to do $30,000 in revenue per month. Now it's only $10,000. I don't understand what happened. And you go, okay, yeah, but your PLAs are now doing $20,000 in revenue that they weren't doing before. So that's, that's, you know, that's been the shift. But there's, I think conceptually, it's a little bit hard for people to grasp and they still just log into AdWords and they look at the AdWords return. It's dangerous to just take PLAs completely out of it because if you do that, you're going to be down. And so the text ad revenue and spend is going to be down from where it was before because PLAs are, are making up you know 50 or 60% of that traffic that used to be going through text ads two or three years ago. I see. I, I think the conceptually it's hard because when you look at your AdWords account, you look at the CPC, whatever it is, and you look at the PLA CPC, so intuitively, you, you immediately, I think you separate that when you look at these two CPCs. When it's actually, you're saying it's a bigger picture, you should look at it together, kind of like a two sides of the same circle, I guess. You should actually think about the portions of AdWords different. And so PLAs are there to convert. They're there to get you that sale today. And so on that PLA traffic, you need to know exactly what your target cost of sale is to be profitable. And so if you need a 20% cost of sale, you know, a five to one return on investment, you need to get that on PLAs, otherwise you're losing money. Um, because it, you know, there's a large percentage of those customers that aren't gonna come back to your website. It, PLAs are not really like a, a long-term acquisition channel. They're there to convert today. And whereas text ads, are there to expose your company to new customers. And so you you should think of them as a fundamentally different channel than PLAs. And so you may have a 20% cost of sale goal on PLAs. On text ads, um, where you're going for more middle of the funnel searches, you may be able to have a 40% return um, on investment where you're comfortable with it because that's how you're exposing your brand to new customers. And there's a lot more of them. There's a lot more Nike searches per day than there are Nike Air Max 2013 searches. And so not only should you think conceptually think of PLAs as different than your text ads within AdWords, you should actually attribute um, different ROI goals to the text ads versus PLAs. I see. Rather than using one arbitrary thing to measure all of them, uh, yeah, all right, that makes sense. And, and that's what typically happens. And I understand why our clients, you know, look at AdWords that from that perspective, I need a 20% return on AdWords. If you absolutely need that return, even including your text ads, then we might as well cut off text ads. We'll do branded traffic and PLAs and that's it. Um, but if they don't, if the retailer doesn't understand that text ads are, are attacking a different part of the funnel than PLAs, PLAs are always going to look like the superstar. They're always going to have uh, better results than text ads because their Google is only showing those searches for people who are ready con to convert. These are especially these huge long tail keywords with the image that pops up and then you're just like, boom, like you click there and you buy it right away. Right? Exactly. Exactly. You know exactly what you want as a consumer. You're ready to make the purchase. That's a lot different than putting in Nike shoes where you're not at the point where you're ready to make that purchase. But if you're exposed to a retailer at that point in time who educates you, that's when they can start to win over your loyalty. And that's how they're going to uh, continue investing in their future, even though your click, your Nike shoes click is not going to be as qualified tomorrow for that long tail search. Um, over time, that's how they're, they're going to continue exposing their brand to new customers. It's all new too. And so it's, you know, that's developed 
in the last 18 months, which is a very you know short amount of time in e-commerce. And so thinking about it from this perspective, um, most retailers don't think about it this way and they apply you know, one, like you said, they're one arbitrary number to the entire, to all of AdWords, and that's just not the right way to attribute um, the ROI. You need to think about the text ads is a little bit different than PLAs. Yeah, gotcha. And one thing you mentioned earlier was that the clients you guys work with typically need to have more than 500 SKUs, otherwise PLA doesn't work. So why is this, why 500 SKUs? That's just based on demand, right? If we have a client who you know, they only have, they have less than 10 SKUs, those SKUs better be ridiculously popular, right? And so they better be, you know, uh, Apple iPods or the new version of a really hot tech product. Because if they're not, if there are 10 products that are in relatively low demand, they're just not gonna spend very much on PLAs. And let me be clear, that's, that's our distinction for acquiring a client. And so that doesn't mean that if you have less than 500 products that PLAs shouldn't be an option for you. Um, there's just less complexity on a channel like PLAs when you have less products. And so our job as an agency is to understand the channel and to get the client the best return possible. And when you have 30,000 SKUs or 50,000 SKUs, there's a lot of complexity there. You know, what should we bid on these individual brands? How do we create these segments for these 30,000 products to get the best return on PLAs? When you have four products, there's not a lot of complexity. Um, and so it doesn't mean that you shouldn't use PLAs. Anyone who is a retailer should use PLAs. I can't, honestly, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't advertise on PLAs unless it's a, a banned product that they don't allow. But yeah, just from our perspective, the more products that the retailer has, the more complexity they'll be involved in managing their PLA campaigns, which makes us as an agency more valuable. I see. So it's just like kind of like a qualification thing for you guys rather than like a blanket across the board. Okay. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because if you're saying PLAs is the bottom of the funnel pickings and you only have 10 SKUs rather than 300,000, I mean, there's really not much to pick when you just have 10 SKUs, right? So Yeah, exactly. But th those businesses, they don't build their business at the bottom of the funnel. They build, they build their business through content marketing and education and social media. That's their competitive advantage. Because when, when you're competing against someone who has 30,000 SKUs, there's no way that retailer has enough time to create a guide for each one of those SKUs, to create videos for each one of those SKUs. And so the retailers that are selling um, lower amounts of SKUs, the conversion channels like PLAs really aren't going to do much for their business. They're going to build their business at the top of the funnel with education and with creating more resources around those products than currently exist on the internet. So let's move on into some tactical stuff. So uh, you know, now that we've kind of nailed through kind of what the basics of PLA are, kind of how to look at the whole thing compared to other paid forms of advertisement, what are some things that you think big retailers are doing right that maybe the little guys that are just having, you know, 10, 20 SKUs they're missing out right now? I think it's it's what I referenced earlier. It's an attention to the the entire funnel. And I know that if you don't have a big budget, that must sound really frustrating, especially coming from um, an agency who's not in your exact position. But um, that's really what I see as the difference. The big retailers, they invest in the entire funnel. They invest in education. They really figure out how many new customers are seeing my brand day in and day out. And they invest into it. And so the smaller retailers, they'll typically have this mindset that's, you know, I need to get 
uh, 15% cost of sale or 10% cost of sale. If I'm not getting that, then I'll cut off the channel. And eventually they're going to cut off every single channel because they are not able to get a return that is consistent for them. And they're thinking about every channel as the same thing when they should be thinking about conversion channels like PLAs and education um, education investments like content marketing. Mm-hmm. So if you had a business that was like, say, you know, two million today, but you know, limited budget, you would look at where your conversions are working first or how would you approach this? Just to give an example of drill it down a little bit more. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how we do it for a CPC strategy and it's, it's different than how a retailer would approach their customers, but I think you can, it lends some, some insight into our thought process. Um, we, we haven't, uh, through, we use a tool called Marketo for um, our landing pages, which allows us to see every single day how many new leads are in our database. And so we obviously, you know, we have one person um, in our, our sales and business development. Their job is to convert, right? So they're at the end of the funnel. Um, his name is Caden. Caden's job is to close the clients that are in our funnel when they're ready to talk to us. But we understand that the future of the company um, is always going to be dependent on how many people are being exposed to our brand. And so we invest heavily into content marketing and the KPI that we're tracking every single day is new leads. How many new uh, eyeballs are being drawn to our content? And then it's our responsibility to make sure that those are qualified leads. And so we'll have a metric that says, okay, for every 100 leads that are new to our website, what percentage of them are actually qualified for our service? And that percentage is typically around 15%. So then our marketing team is not only tasked with how do we acquire new leads, but how do we increase that qualified lead percentage? Um, And so all of that is happening in the top and the middle of the funnel before that lead becomes an opportunity and that opportunity talks to our sales team. And so that's how we're thinking about the future of our company. And that's the only way we could grow to this size and continue growing our, our agency we didn't have any investment up front. Um, we've never taken on any venture capital or um, angel money. And so we've had to be, um, uh, we've had to approach our business the same way that a retailer would have to approach their business. It has to be profitable for us, but we also have to invest into the future of our company. And that comes from getting new leads exposed to your brand every single day. And so that's, uh, you know, we fundamentally approach the funnel um, in a different way. Content marketing is trying to get people to learn about CPC strategy. Uh, we use our email marketing to try to expose the, the lead to our results to hopefully get them interested in our service. And once they raise their hand, that's when Kate and will talk to them to try to convert. Um, but there's a lot that goes into those new clients before the conversion phase. And I see a lot of retailers kind of obsessed and only looking at the conversion phase. And I love that analogy you gave about hunting and farming. They're just hunting and they've, they've kind of stopped farming altogether and over the long uh, haul, that's going to have an impact. Like what happens when they get sick and they can't farm that night? What happens when there's a change to the channel that they're relying on? There needs to be some level of thought and strategy into the rest of the funnel outside of just the conversion. Yeah. I think, I think the key here is not that, you have limited resources, try to do everything, but rather than knowing how your funnel works and how you can optimize it with the limited resources you have. Yes, we were totally guilty of that. And it's, it's, 
it's what you do when you don't know how to answer a question, right? The, the conversion part of the funnel is relatively easy to answer. Okay, I list my products on these um, sales aggregation sites and they send me customers. When you're trying to answer the question of, of how should I how should I penetrate a market to educate them and then eventually push them down my funnel, that's complicated. It's really complicated. And so for the first few years of our business, I think our approach was, we don't have time for that. There's no way that we can focus on anything else besides getting clients and serving those clients. And that's it. Um, oftentimes it's kind of a self-limiting belief that we put on ourselves as business owners because it's actually a very complicated problem to solve that we don't know how to solve. So it's easier to tell ourselves that we don't have the time to solve that problem. Yeah, even like within e-commerce, like sourcing products, like getting dropshippers, like that stuff's the easy part now. It's like, how do you find your customers? Where do you get them to buy? It's like, there's a map from A to B in the middle. It's like this huge question mark that everyone's trying to figure out. But that's kind of the point, right? If it's easy to source your products and it's easy to list them on these conversion channels, then it's easy for all of your competition to do that also. There's, you know, 18, 19 year old kids in college and high school right now who can figure that stuff out and they're going to be launching their websites and that's not going to change. And so how are you really going to differentiate your website or your products from your competitors? And in that sense, it's no different than business has been, you know, in brick and mortar businesses over the last 50 years. Um, you really have to figure out what the unique selling proposition is. And if you can't figure that out, um, then you're, you're not going to build um, a business around these, you know, easy tactics like sourcing products, drop shipping, and PLAs. Like that's not how you're going to build a business. Let's go to a different example then. So, like, say some of your bigger clients, like say Hugo Boss, you know, they're competing with say Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren. How are they tackling this problem, going from like A to B in the question mark in the middle with all these different channels? Like, do you have any insights on that? Yeah, they work with really smart people, to be honest, and it, it almost sounds unfair. But the problem is just as complicated to those companies, but they have the luxury of you know, using the best technologies and working with the most educated consultants. And they can put a team together to attack that problem in a really sophisticated, um, organized way that smaller retailers just, they can't afford to do that. And so it's, it's like you're getting, they have the luxury of getting world-class consulting essentially, and world-class technology. And when you have those things, it makes this huge question mark in the middle a lot easier to solve. Yeah, like they could fly in Rand Fishkin or whoever they need to the office, right? No, now. exactly. From my perspective, um, you know, I, I'm working on a lot of the, the growing the business aspects of CPC strategy. There's a lot of, of people on my team that are much more technical than I am when it comes to PLAs. But if a client can have a conversation, or even a non-client, if a retailer comes to me, and they want to talk about PLAs, I, I'm going to be able to introduce them to some of the members of our analyst team that know more about PLAs than anybody on the planet, right? I, ideally, I'd love to be able to have those conversations with, with everybody, but we're running the business too. And so we have to figure out when to draw the line and say, okay, we're not going to consult um, a smaller client or we can't take on clients who have less than 500 products. And that's it's actually really frustrating for me because I come from this perspective of I want to help everybody. Um, and so that's where we draw the line when it comes to servicing clients, but we, we take it uh, very seriously to create content that can help the entire market. And so that's not just out there to try to generate clients for us. That's out there because it's part of the ethics 
of our company where we feel a responsibility to help everyone out, even if we can't take them on as a potential client. Yeah, awesome. And so just to wrap things up, I know we can't get in too much into the technicals of, say, product fees, whatever, because there's a lot of stuff. And I know you guys have a couple of guides on the website, right? Do you want to give a brief intro about those? Yeah, most definitely. If you go to cpcstrategy.com under resources is our product listing ads guide. Um, I think that I just looked at the number the other day. It's like it's been viewed now by over 60,000 unique people. Um, we don't hide it behind any sort of a gate. And so the goal is really to just have the best resource on product listing ads on the internet. Um, we're actually just updating it. And so we're releasing like the PLA guide 2.0. Um, and that will get into, it covers the entire you know spectrum of questions that you would have about PLAs. Um, a lot of the stuff that I talked about today is kind of theoretical and about um, the overall strategy of PLAs and where that, that fits into your marketing funnel. Uh, but the PLA guide will um, get really specific and tell you exactly what we're doing with our clients to get them results. And then you can, you know, basically choose uh, whether that information makes sense for you or not um, in running your campaigns. But yeah, just go to cpcstrategy.com, resources, and then it's product listing ads guide. Yeah, and you guys also have a remarketing guide, shopping feed guide, and a comparison shopping report guide. So I make sure you guys check that out at cpcstrategy.com. Uh, Rick, thanks, thanks again for your time, for joining us on the podcast today. And and we'll keep in touch. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it, Terry. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.